Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Are you sick and tired of professional development that isn't relevant to you in the field as being a school-based SLP or an SLP that works with school-aged children? I hear you. I've been there too. I've sat through countless amounts of professional development where I walked away saying, that was great if I worked with one student or that would be great if X, Y, and Z. And that is why I created the Speech Retreat Conference. And I'm so excited to let you know that tickets are on sale now for our July 17th Speech Retreat. You don't want to miss this amazing professional development that has provided practical and relevant information for school-based SLPs for the last couple of years. Join the thousands of other SLPs tuning in each time we provide sessions that are hand-selected based on your preferences and your requests. We're going to be talking all about literacy-based for older students, life skills for high school kids, working with the special ed team, pushing in, IEPs and goal writing, and so much more. So get excited and head on over to speechretreat.com to grab your ticket today. You don't want to miss out because we are already giving away tons of prizes in our exclusive Facebook group. So don't wait, Join, sign up right away so you can join that Facebook group and join in on the fun and celebrate being an awesome SLP that you are and get ready to learn so much information on July 17th. Can't tune in live? Make sure you sign up ahead of time so you get access to all of the recordings. You can only get access to it if you sign up beforehand. So make sure you head to speechretreat.com to grab your ticket today. Now on to today's episode. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I'm the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, 
This podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. So have you heard the news? My brand new membership site for resources for older speech students is open for founding members. For this week only, you can join and take advantage of founding member pricing. The price won't be this low ever again, and it's not going to be open again until back to school season. So what is SLP Elevate? It's a membership site for SLPs working with older speech students and want to feel more confident in your activities and your understanding of what goals to work on. I'm going to be teaching you a framework on how to decide what to work on and when and what to work on next and how to find resources that are at the appropriate reading levels and levels to work on with your students and also provide you with monthly thematic units, video games, anime, cartoons, all the things that our students are always talking about. Each month is going to be a high interest theme and I'm going to provide you with fiction, nonfiction texts, pragmatic activities, higher level thinking activities, context clues, articulation, vocabulary, the works. So get excited. Head on over to slpelevate.com. You don't want to miss out on this founding member opportunity. You're going to also get to be a part of an amazing community on Facebook where you have access to me and to ask questions once a week. You can submit them anonymously or let me know who you are, and I can help you talk through your specific students and cases. You don't want to miss this opportunity. Head to slpelevate.com and join the membership that is for older speech students, and it's like no other. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. And today I have Jeanette Washington to talk all about dyslexia, and I know you are going to love this episode. So let's get to it. Jeanette, tell everyone a little bit more about you and your journey to where you are today. I would love to. And first, I'd like to thank you for having me on. I've listened to your show, your podcast before, and I've always found it a great means of grabbing insight on the go. So thank you for having me. Just to give you all a little bit of context of who I am, as Haley said, I'm Jeanette Washington. I've worked as a speech pathologist, also as an educator and as a software engineer. So I've worked in a couple different intersections of education and I am very passionate about dyslexia because dyslexia is something that helped me to transition into speaking in front of international stages as it relates to technology. So my way there was not very typical. I had a caseload full of students who had language-based learning disorders, and there was obviously some type of element of similarity between the students. So I started doing more research about dyslexia. I had heard it being tossed around by some colleagues, and I was like, hmm, what is dyslexia? So um, once I found out how statistically prevalent it was. And I started to really dive into research that existed. I found myself more intrigued by dyslexia. And I think even more so because that was not something a part of my formal training. So I saw a gap there 
from what I had learned in school. And so I have always been one of those rebels where, you know, I want to take that extra mile or I want to go in the depths of where no one would like to go. So that's kind of my story with dyslexia. I started learning more about it. And as I learned more about it, more people consulted with me for, you know, my 10,000 hours of expertise I had spent. So it has definitely been a great journey learning about dyslexia, meeting so many people with dyslexia who have so many promising futures ahead of them, and just really being that support system in place, if that makes sense. Totally. For anyone listening that's probably thinking, but isn't that the job of a reading specialist? Mm-hmm. What would you say to that? Well, I would say that it definitely falls under that purview of speech and language pathology because it is a language-based learning disorder. So it it falls squarely in our purview, actually. So we'll see it often in IEPs as just SLD, specific learning disorder, but a lot of the ways in which we can work with children with dyslexia falls right square dab in that language area where we're experts in. So reading specialists are helpful and some schools are gifted enough to have um, dyslexia therapists. So, you know, I think it definitely takes a team, a dream team, preferably that goes in and provides those resources and supports to teachers and students who are working through dyslexia. Can you share some red flags or questions SLPs can ask the team to probe to see if these red flags exist? So yeah, some red flags that I would say, or not necessarily red flags, but some indicators would be if the student is having difficulties with decoding, if fluent word recognition is not fluent at all. So their word recognition is a bit flawed. They have issues with rapid automatic naming, their reading comprehension skills are not at that benchmark where they are as far as their grade level. What else? I would say if they're having trouble writing and copying what they see, if they have difficulty putting thoughts into words, if the student spells phonetically and inconsistency, inconsistently, those are some clear indicators that something else is happening and it's not necessarily like growing pains or, you know, they'll get it. Just give them some time. Those are some, and I don't really like to call them red flags, but those are definitely some flags to, to be mindful mm-hmm. of. That's, that's very helpful. Is there mm-hmm. an age range where you find that most of these things are exhibited at that age? So or is there like, an, is there like an age where like you shouldn't start looking at it yet? Or is when is it too soon? Things like that. So I will say at the age five, you are 92% likely to be able to get a diagnosis and it be an accurate reflection of dyslexia. So at the age of five, children can get a diagnosis and it would be a depiction of where they are on that continuum of dyslexia. When it comes to indicators and where they fall from the age groups, you can't, I mean, I've seen adults get diagnosed. So Mm. I say that to say that anywhere between five to 55, you can (laughs) fall on that continuum of, you know, having a sign or indicator that, hey, 
we need to do further testing. I won't say that there is a bad time to get assessed, but usually signs show up at five. Mm, that's good to know, especially right when they're starting to learn how to read in kindergarten, things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And you mentioned just before the continuum. Can you go more in depth about that? Yeah. So when we're looking at a continuum, I often think about spectrum disorders like autism, how it is not a one size fits all or it's not a cookie cutter diagnosis. What will happen is you may have issues with comprehension, but you may be able to spell or you may have issues with writing, but you may be able to comprehend once you read a text. So it kind of depends on where you are on that continuum as far as your severity level. So it can look like so many different things to so many different people, but we do know that it is a language-based learning disorder. That's so helpful. Since (laughs) it is a language-based learning disorder, what are some ways we can evaluate it and determine that it is in fact dyslexia? So when we're talking about evaluating it, I want to give you all a clear view of what a comprehensive list of the components required for dyslexia diagnosis. So an evaluation is going to include case study, which is going to be a family history in depth because dyslexia is hereditary. So it's likely if a parent has it, then that child will also have dyslexia. So you want to start by doing a case study or understanding the family's history. Next, you want to do a language assessment oral and written, one that I have found to be magnificent, it's norm referenced, it is TEALS. TEALS can identify language and literacy disorders. It's really, really helpful. And hopefully your school district has it or can pay for it because I know it's pretty pricey. (laughs) But you also want to include a reading assessment, achievement, intelligence, articulation, motor skills, and social skills. But thankfully, TEALS can address the language and the reading portion of those components to the dyslexia diagnosis. Hmm. And is it in our scope of practice to make that diagnosis? I have seen where it is. And then I have seen other districts where they wanted second opinions. Mm-hmm. So it'll, it, so I will say yes, but I would also like to make that caveat that it really depends on where you are. So right now in the U.S., there are about 50 states with laws in place for dyslexia. And then there are states that don't have laws in place just yet. So it is ever evolving. It is ever changing. And legislation is forthcoming. So we will see how everything unfolds and whether speech pathologists are, you know, placed in that legislation as being the the proper individuals to assess for dyslexia. But I know in specific districts, yes, you can make that call. Other districts, again, as I stated earlier, they have a dyslexia therapist. So they may ask you a question here and there, maybe um, as far as it relates to practice wise and some resources, but they kind of have that taken care of. And then in some districts, they give that to the reading specialist. Mm -hmm. Some districts don't have reading specialists. So it is definitely one of those things where you got to kind of play it by ear, so to speak, but it's good to, yeah, but it's good to know 
so that when the time comes and someone says, hey, we need you to do this assessment, you're prepared. They say, stay ready so you don't have to get ready, right? Love that. So, (laughs) so true. Because I know in my district, it's typically the reading specialist that sends it. And then Mm -hmm. we recommend they go to a neurologist for further, Mm -hmm. like my, even the reading specialist won't even diagnose. So they will just say like Mm -hmm. tendencies or speculations, like they will use that kind of terminology. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting to hear that in other states and other districts, how involved the SLPs are in this process. Yeah. And I also would suggest if you are an SLP and you've been provided with some insight on a student that may potentially have dyslexia, I would do a dyslexia screener. There are screeners available on TPT. I actually happen to have created one as well. And that is going to keep that paper trail for you so that you can say, hey, I don't think this student has dyslexia or yes, further testing needs to be done, but I may not be you know, equipped to do that testing, but that testing needs to happen. So it'll give you, as I stated, a paper trail. It'll also help others know like, hey, this student is, you know, they have some red flags or some indicators that are pointing towards dyslexia. So we need to make that our priority to figure out what's going on. I love that. I'm definitely gonna be checking out those screeners because (laughs) people always come to me, look saying about phonological awareness and are they hearing Mm -hmm. the sounds? Mm -hmm. And never knowing the right tools to make that judgment call. So I I love Mm -hmm. that. That's awesome. So you've noticed that you have some youngsters that have dyslexia. Now what? What do you do with them? What are some strategies we recommend to SLCs? (laughs) (laughs) Other than saying, congrats, you have the label. Goodbye. (laughs) Right. Because you know what? That's half the battle. Just getting the label so now you understand how you can move forward with that student. So you want to make sure you look into some Orton-Gillingham instruction. Um, Orton-Gillingham instruction or the Orton-Gillingham approach is extremely popular And it is from a body of time-tested knowledge and practice has been validated over the past 80 years. It is mainly instruction or an approach that deals with individuals with dyslexia and who are on that dyslexia continuum. So it was named after Samuel T. Orton and Anna Gillingham. One was a neuropsychologist and the other was a educator. They created a way to teach children with dyslexia and it will just simply be based on some really like easy ways you can incorporate. So like, for instance, multi-sensory techniques are gonna be really super helpful when you're working with someone with dyslexia, when we talk about multi-sensory, we simply mean that it needs to be more than just you telling them the word. You know, you have to include mm-hmm. some other components to that. Some other senses need to be tapped into as well so that they can really gravitate towards gaining um, knowledge of that word or that sound that you're working on. So it needs to be repetitive, needs to be incremental, It also needs to be sequential. So those are some components of the Orton-Gillingham approach. And there are more components to it, but those are the easier 
ways in which you can incorporate that into a therapy session. Like, for instance, tapping out sounds, using salt trays, Blossom. let's see, using shaving, yeah, floss or or shaving cream to do some different writing. So just tapping into those senses is going to really be helpful when it comes to working with that child or that student who is on that continuum of dyslexia. Wow. So interesting. Do you need to be trained in it or can you like read up on the approaches and kind of implement it without like a formal training? So a formal training could be a little costly. And then with our schedules these days, who knows when you'd have the time to commit to it. So I would say to maybe look into it online, look at maybe some practitioners. There are people who are Orson Gillingham certified, and you can simply tap into those individuals or reach out to them if you see that they have some specific initials after their names and say, hey, I need a little assistance with creating, you know, maybe therapy sessions. Can you walk me through the therapy, you know, like what I would need to utilize? But if all fails, you can certainly go to the Orton Gillingham Academy's website. They have information there. And you can also do a quick Google search for like multi-sensory techniques or, you know, phonetic, alphabetic and synetic analytic tools to use, structured, cognitive, like just those, using those keywords in there is going to really be helpful when you're Mm -hmm. finding activities or when you're gleaning from resources. Because you may see something that exists and you might say, I like it, but I want to tweak it a bit. So that's often helpful. I would say as long as you hit that multi-sensory, you are on a roll. I love that. Now I have a question. What advice mm-hmm. would you give to someone who is butting heads maybe with a reading specialist or another professional mm-hmm. when Ooh. it's like, whose role is it? We're stepping on each other's toes kind of thing. Mm, that's a great question. <laughs> and I would say it just kind of depends because let's be honest, our workloads are spilling over. And this virtual lifestyle has not made it any easier. So when it comes to working alongside colleagues, you always want to have like that great rapport so that you all can work together seamlessly. Like who doesn't want to go to work and and love their colleagues? (laughs) However, we do know that there are some instances where, like you said, we're stepping on toes and we're doing the shuffle, trying to figure out who needs to do what. So I don't know. I think I would take the passive approach. like. I would let them do them and if they they decided to contact me or reach out to me, then I would say, hey, let me look at some resources and get right back to you. And then again, that's when you can do a little quick Google search and Mm -hmm. and look at ways in which you can insert yourself into that and, and be a value in that situation. But if the reading specialist says that they have it and they got it, I would, I would just let them take care of it. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we don't already have like tons of children to see. It's like, okay, if you got it, uh, you know, I'm going to believe that you are a qualified individual and you can handle it. However, as soon as you say you need some assistance, then that's when I'm putting my thinking cap on and we can, you know, go to work. So, so, so I mean, 
because <laughs> it's like we don't want to make more work. We, you know, we were here for the kids, but hey, let's let's be honest. We we have a lot of kids we're already seeing. So if you think you can handle this one or this situation, I'm I'm going to believe your expertise and let you go for it. On the flip side, have you ever mm-hmm. had parents that didn't want the diagnoses? Yes, I definitely have had parents, but I think it's all about how you tell them too. Like, for instance, it's not a, it's not a great idea to just bombard the parent and say, I think your child has this. You know, what you want to do is just inquire with the, the parent and say, you know, um, hey, have you been noticing any? Thing different with their with their schoolwork? Have they been able to get it in on time? And you know, kind of kind of uh, asking those probing questions, and l- you want to let the parent tell you their concerns, and then that's when you can say, "Hmm, okay." You want to make it their like their, it idea. their idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you came idea. to me about this, even though we reached out to, to them. <laughs> yeah, you want to start by simply asking about like how they're doing in their other classes, how's the homework been, and you know, just kind of those beating around the bush type of questions. Mm-hmm. And eventually, nine times out of ten, you'll see the parent is going to notice that you care, so they're going to be vulnerable. And provide you a little bit more insight. And then that's when you can say, oh, okay, well, well, you know, that falls into my scope. So I can definitely take a look, you know? <laughs> I'll take a look. <laughs> uh huh. You got to, it's about that trust. They got to mm-hmm. see like, oh, she's really, you know, she really cares and she wants the best for my child. I trust her enough to tell her about some of my concerns. Mm-hmm. And then that's when you can just, you know, handle like, the Well, I've already diagnosed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I've already been working. With, I'm just kidding. Get parent permission first, guys. Like, yes, definitely want to get that permission. <laughs> like, since you mentioned it, I have the right up here. Don't Let me just pull that, that out of uh, that document. <laughs> I came prepared. Um, can you share? Can you share any success stories or aha moments or? some sort of big wins that you've had with working with this population? Oh, that's, that's a great um, point. I think that targeting phonemic awareness and therapy has been really a lot of fun. And it also has been a way for me to get more of those aha moments. You are looking at IEP goals like the child will be able to recognize and generate rhyming words and various structured activities with blank percent accuracy. I think when I am working in that space, I not only have the most fun, but I'm also able to get those aha moments more often because I am focusing directly on where that child needs assistance. So when we think about dyslexia, for some children, because again, it is that continuum. We do have issues within that phonemic awareness space. Um, There is a disconnect or there's a disruption there. So usually when I'm working with that area, like creating a goal where a child will be able to identify initial, medial, and final phonemes and high frequency grade appropriate words and various activities with blank accuracy, then it's, it's really been... A, fun overall, but it's been helpful because I can see the progress. I can see the gains that are made. So those would be 
the moments that I enjoyed the most, not just working on random generated goals, but really laser focused on phonemic awareness or whatever that child has that, that struggle or that disruption in. Love that. And what is typically, I, is this something children always struggle with? Can they overcome this, compensate from this? What do you, how, what do you, what is your answer to that? Okay. Great answer. That helps me kind of paint this picture here. So dyslexia is a lifelong condition and we already discussed how it's, it can be hereditary, but I will say that it is very helpful when you can find a specific area and work with that child to make those gangs and build them up where they are, there will be issues that they learn how to compensate for. For instance, I've seen a lot of dyslexic adults who have issues with word retrieval. So they will be having a conversation. They'll be looking for that word in their repertoire that they want to insert into that sentence and they just can't find it. So it's definitely something that they'll experience from from life, for life, but it's also helpful that they have the aid of speech therapists and dyslexia therapists and reading therapists or specialists so that they know how to create those coping mechanisms for themselves. So that's always something I like to throw out there. So helpful. And is there any tech tools like apps and things like that that you recommend for compensatory strategies? Yes. So there are tons of apps that I could just kind of relay. But when I think about like word retrieval or comprehension, I would say that one of the coolest websites that I found is called MindMeister. And it is a graphic organizer that you can create. I find it to be super duper helpful for children as they are trying to conceptualize an idea or if they are trying to really hone in and anchor a specific thought process or or concept. So MindMeister is going to be one. Another one I would say would be any Audible apps, like speech-to-text apps, or even a text-to-speech app could be essential for them because they're spending a lot of energy and they're exerting a lot of their their time trying to comprehend those different um, words and, and read those sentences. But if they have something that can read that information to them, that's going to be a huge time saver for them. So ones that I've used outside of like Audible, Hoopla is a great app. It has thousands upon thousands of books that the child can download and have it read to them. And this could be a chapter book. It could be, you know, a Pete the Cat book, Mm -hmm. but all of the books are read to them. And so they can spend that energy enjoying and grasping those concepts opposed to spending, again, that energy and exerting all of their capacity to understand the words. Love that. That is so helpful. Thank you so, so much. This has been so informative, so helpful. <laughs> I, I feel inspired and motivated to <laughs> butt some heads with some college. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> tell everyone where they can learn more about you and what you have to offer. Yes. So again, I'm Jeanette Washington and I am the owner of Barely Articulating. You can find me at Fairly Articulating on Instagram, Twitter, TPT, which is important. I do 
have resources there. I have the dyslexia screener. I also have a dyslexia checklist where you can kind of make a note of all of the um, components that you've gained. Both are digital. I also have an ADHD planner because that's something that I've noticed can coexist with dyslexia about 60% of the time they exist together. So that's a whole nother topic for another day. But yes, just find me if you look under Barely Articulating on all really platforms because I'm kind of (laughs) everywhere. And we'll have links to everything in the show notes. So make sure you guys check that out. So thank you so much, Jeanette. Like always, I'd love to end my episodes with a joke and you came prepared and have a joke for us. So share it with, with everyone. I do. And this is such a great note because we were talking about audibles. So I have a library joke. So why could nobody go to the library? Why? Because <laughs> it was all booked. <laughs> but um ching. Had to have Yay! that related, that related reading joke with this episode <laughs> to tie it with a bow. Love it. Love every second of it. So thank you so so much, Ned, for joining us here today. Everyone listening, whether you are driving to work, walking your dog, doing the laundry, wherever you are listening to this, have a great day and stay out of trouble. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at www.speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you are there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.